Hello, and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. How you doing? Well, I can't complain. (laughs) I mean, I could complain, but I'm not going to because... We are now once again recording an episode of everyone who's listening's favorite podcast, Seize the GM. Indeed, indeed. Well, you guys can go. You guys can go sawed off then, because my mouth is still killing me. Invisalign. Uh, it's going to okay. be great for my teeth, but holy fuck, it hurts. Yeah, yeah. My wife just had her lower wisdom teeth pulled like two, mm-hmm. three weeks ago now and yeah she still has issues with how far they had to like crank her jaw open to to just do a regular extraction not even like oral surgery just an extraction yeah. so yeah, i feel you like, it's like okay I, it's like no just lick with tylenol let me just hold in my mouth <laughs> yeah so ow yeah now I I've been busy, but not uh, well. In a way, I've been trying to like wrap some stuff up around here so that we can move forward with what we're going to be working on next after our our seasonal break. Ooh, yay! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Putting a few things in in line and. And yeah, hopefully in the next hopefully soon couple of weeks you'll see things. You'll, oh yeah, that's a really good thing. Oh, in a couple of weeks you'll see things. Oh, I, I don't. That could either be exciting or ominous as fuck. I mean, yes. knowing us, it's probably both at the same time. <laughs> Look, dude, we're already in the post-apocalypse. Probably. You don't want to just completely terrify everyone. Where they're just like, uh, come on. We're evil. We're not that sedative. Uh-huh. All right. No, who the hell am I talking? Yeah, we are yeah, all that yeah, sedative. Yeah, I am. Yeah. So you'll find out the big thing that's happening when we do our final episode for the season. So when you hear that final episode, uh-huh. be it when it drops naturally or if you have discovered us at some point in the future, you will know. Future, future, future. In the meantime... One of the things that we've talked about kind of all season long is how the, the Eden ship setting campaign, all of this fits into uh, the system and structures it's kind of designed around. But that leads to an interesting set of questions. Well, like one of the big ones is what if we want to do it in uh, a system that's not normally used for something like this? <laughs> I mean, because in reality, something like D6 space would work really well. Oh, for yeah. This. 
Well, and the other thing we've always talked about is how different systems, even if they're designed for something, bring different qualities to the game, to the table. And so what choice you make and what system this goes into can have a huge impact on how you present the Eden ship to your players or to random people on your virtual tabletop of choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. Because, see, when we first started thinking about this whole entire project, uh, we were kind of shooting it through a kind of a lens for of, like, Savage Worlds, but not in a specific setting, so like, in a specific system. So we were like, well, we'll kind of work around that, but we're not going to do anything <coughs> mm-hmm. that's specifically, you know tied in to one specific setting. So this is kind of where we're going to talk about how we can just put it into whatever setting well, with what we have given like though, We did everybody. do some uh, NPC character creation, though, with Fate. So remember? You better remember that. Oh, yes, we did. Because I, I couldn't. Have. I didn't have. I, I, I had like my Fate, Fate books out on Lend, and I couldn't do it. Remember, it's like I was I was having issues uh, doing all all, because it's like I'm trying to do and it's like, all right, bad, bad timing for me to try and operate from memory because I had lent uh, the fate books out on loan. So I'm like, uh, yes, I do have the fast start rules, but it's not the thing is like if you're going to be building. They're different. If you're going to be building, you know, from especially with a lot more. without anything a little bit more you want the bigger books yeah yep i assume that i missed that one you did in my own little sabbatical for reasons no you were there that's okay before you left yeah then over a year ago so uh oh my goodness (laughs) this has been going well then it's been a while it's it's hard to remember everything we've done in the last year (laughs) So, all right. So what? what all right, Zen. You know, you're the one that first came up with this cockamamie idea in the first place of doing all of this. So why don't you come <laughs> up? Tell us about the two, like the the systems you came up with, and, and kind of what they would lend okay. and, and do stuff. I want to hear. Okay. So, so I picked uh, Fate and the old Star Frontiers. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Uh, system, which is kind of unique. There is nothing else really like it. Yeah. Oh my god, that is a blast in the is, past, there, dude. I know, but I actually have been thinking about that one for a while for this because it kind of fits in in a very unique sort of way. And okay, so fate. We'll start with fate because fate does a couple of things really well. Um, One of the big ones is player agency and highly proactive protagonists are kind of like hallmarks of fate. Um, This system itself is really story driven, but it also has some crunch if you want to push it. The system isn't really designed for it, but it does work. Um, it also 
is able to add new elements that aren't necessarily part of the original conceit of fate in a couple of books there's some really easy ways to just like graft things directly into the system as it already exists and one of those is psionics there's a whole section on psionics and things of that nature that you can just kind of like bolt right into your game without having to do any actual work on it and then there's also things for like ship combat and things of that nature where they did um, uh, Tachyon yes. Squadron, which is where all of the like ship combat things are. So that kind of where works well with that sort of thing. Um, aspects also make it so easy to just do things without having to like redesign the game system itself to work in the framework that you've kind of already laid mm. out because you can just be like, well, one of my aspects is, um, like, I will say, um, invading alien from another world. And you don't have to go any further than that. And you can just be kind of weird and make yourself an alien without having to like come up with all of the nuance of what does this mean? And every, you know, it just aspects allow you to just do things because they're just statements of fact about the game world and the characters. So that's one of the reasons why I chose fate because it's very easy to do the, any, any kind of system that you want to within it. So, and then the other one that I chose was star frontiers. Now this system is a lot more pulpy than some others that are out there. Unless you actually know it, you would never guess that that's actually kind of what it is, but it's, it's very, very sci-fi pulp, like 50s pulp sci-fi mm. specifically is what it really kind of harkens back to. Now, Savage Worlds has a bit of that built into it kind of as well, mm -hmm. which is why I thought it would be kind of an adjacent version of that. And... The system also wants players to be like explorers of worlds and stuff like that. So with a ship that's as big as the Eden ship, I figured it would be a really easy way to draw that in as a much bigger element of the game than what it might normally be. And they have occupations and those give you like skills and things of that nature so it's kind of an easy way to just plug those in whenever you want to have like different occupations you can kind of come up with your own skills and how they work and just like plug them right in so um and a while ago uh, gardemoge had done a whole card catalog entry for star frontiers 
And if you want to read more about it, there is a link in the doobly-doos. So, but yeah, that's why I chose those two. Makes sense, dude. It works. <laughs> no, yeah, I think Star Frontiers is, is a great choice for this kind of sci-fi. And I think it, for all of its age, it was very much ahead of its time and implemented a lot of ideas that are much more commonplace now, like the almost classless system in a lot of ways and the skill advancements yeah. and, you know, some... Oh, and it's also like D one hundred for most things. I, I, you and I had some similar thoughts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure of that because that was like I when I started thinking about it, I'm like, this is like a great system to like bolt this ship into if you wanted to do it. So, well, but I'm excited. Yeah, that that. Both of those have a lot of potential. Fate is known for being uh, open and fluid and easily adapted to different settings. It's one of its strengths. And Star Frontiers is one that we have a lot of of love for. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, It was fun. So. All right. Let's see. Jules. All right. Well, the for me, like, you, uh, you know, we were originally thinking, oh, okay, doing Savage Worlds. So for me, it's Savage Worlds, the way that uh, all the mechanics are, it's swingy. It's extremely swingy. And it's, it's kind of uh, just because it can go really, really well, or it could go really, really, oh, God, everyone's dead. <laughs> um, and it's, and it's not based on battle tactics or logic choices it's luck and that kind of really i guess kind of like help fits in the mood of a uh you know of a post-apocalyptic ship in space you know sometimes you could just everything's rocking you can have the right training and you've got a better chance and if you've got like good training what have you but sometimes things just go and it's kind of like a, a you know, a risk versus reward is built into the exploding high dice mechanics. And, you know, uh, where it's like, okay, it we're screwed anyway. Uh, let's go for it. And sometimes like it'll be like an amazing, and sometimes it's just like, okay, you've blown up the ship. And, and the feeling of that, it, it, it kind of like it, especially in this kind of a post-apocalyptic setting, is kind of like Mad Max cross with Errol Flynn. And you kind of like that because it, it's the it, it it feels a lot more dynamic. It feels uh, the higher the highs, the lower the lows. Especially if you want, um, yeah, and that kind of a thing will will kind of translate well into multiple types of situations. You know, not just uh, you know exploring a planet or uh, chasing down a, a rogue alien. It works good in diplomacy. Is like. Is somebody going to sneeze at an inopportune time? And I'm, and like, holy cow, you know, that was like the highest form of respect that no one knew, you know. it It's that's how well it can work. Or you sneeze and now you've declared Doug poor with this latest intergalactic alliance thing. You're like, crap. And I like that. It, 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 it the GM has to kind of keep on their toes for it, uh, which is kind of. You know, it, it, being able to roll with how do the how the dice do, 
but you know, for, for me, it, um, you know, for those that don't want the extremely heavily oppressive, you know, that wild swing for it against the players, for it against the, your own plot, you know, it can, it, it can add, uh, a, I guess a spark of adventure to the post-apocalypse, which is kind of something some, some teams, some players want, and it's kind of neat. Yeah, but the other one I came up with, and it's not going to work for a campaign. This is only going to work in one shots and, and very similar. But if you want the alien feel, you know, like uh, Ripley is is a is a minor, you know, what are the and you know the they're on the Nostromo. You like that really heavy, dark, oppressive atmosphere. I mean, it's and it's not going to work for a campaign, but it works pretty interesting for a kind of just unique series of one shots. Dread. It's a hell of a system, and I'll be honest, it can panic people that aren't even playing in the game. They're just sitting in the room, over you know, it's like adjacent to to the dining room, and they're playing on, and they're playing like the PlayStation. They can they, they will feel it because it's not dice. You use a Jenga tower. And the thing is, like the way that you build your characters, it's it's kind of like that interactive thing that fate does. You know, you, you answer questionnaires, you you build off of, you know, you chat with the other players, you know, like who has the backstory, stuff like that. And it's it's you know, it's it's pretty neat because you're already building like the team in there. And the way that it works is okay, if this is something that is in your wheelhouse, if you are if you're a scientist and you're trying to identify something yet yeah, you're, you're fine don't worry about it but when you're doing something that is either risky or outside of your wheelhouse you pull a jenga brick and it, depending on how hard it is and the thing is is as you know and, and that whole kind of it's it's the physical representation almost of the tension and release cycle. And depending on exactly how you want to do it, Dread usually is for specifically horror games. Um, and here's the thing. If it topples over, the player that made it topple over dies. And here's the thing. If your dog comes in and, you know, Susan's pulling out a, uh, a brick and the dog hits the table and it's on Susan's turn, Susan dies. Susan's character dies. Now, you can modify it and, and stuff like that, so that way if uh, you don't want to just kick characters out, should that be. But, you know, once the, the uh, once you knock over the Jenga tower, you rebuild it again, and then you start doing it again. So, it's, because if you topple it, GNC. So, this is, it, it also the thing about it is, everyone is staring at that tower. It's there's that just because of that physical representation of oh god who's gonna die next you know <laughs> it's like all right who is it Vasquez or or you know that's the, so you don't know you don't know who's gonna end up knocking it over are we gonna lose you know our military powerhouse you know because of uh, they knocked the thing over and the grenade blew up but. You know, if you want it to kind of like one diceless, which I always think is kind of neat and unique, but 
the thing is, is like, imagine something infects the Eden ship, you know, and you want to just give, you know, and, and here's the thing, you could already be playing using one of the these other wonderful systems, and Gardemanger, you monster, I love you for what you picked. <laughs> but the thing is, though, if, if you know, you want to just give them all, it's like, all right, this is, you know, a non-canon spinoff episode, just to give them a different feel of just, you know, because if they're free, oh, it's, it, if you want to just like, this is how oppressive it can be, you know, and everyone's going to be staring at that stupid freaking Jenga tower. You're not, everyone's just going to, it's much more grabby of attention, you know? So if somebody starts bouncing their leg, you know, and it knocks, it's like, oh my God, you've never seen a riot. But, yep. you know, like I said, it's like, you know, you can have like, you could have it swashbuckly, you could have it uh, like more pulpy. And my thing is like, if you just want to do, like I said, it won't work for a campaign, but if you want to do some side quests, you know, with a bunch of red shirts, and scare the hell out of your players and you know the players spouses and children who are wandering in and just looking at this tower and like oh god and they're and, and we're just pushing them out of the room it's just like don't breathe yeah there you go so yeah yep. yeah yeah everyone because I, I looked it's like all these systems like oh these are great for campaigns but you know quick and dirty one shot try dread Yep. Yeah. Definitely. So, so Garbage, please, please, oh, please delight us because I can't believe you came up with this one. And it's awesome. Well, first, I'm going to look at a system from the 80s, and it is the face rip system or phase rip, depending on how you want to say it. And it was the basis for the old TSR Marvel superheroes game, uh, Buck Rogers, even the second edition of Star Frontiers from Zebulon's Guide, but it is a widowed system now. It has no home. It is supported on the internet and with some uh, releases from people who, who've kind of recontextualized it, and I think it would be great to use for the Eden ship for several reasons. First, because it was originally built for Marvel superheroes, there is an easy way to allow psionics, aliens, and a lot of high-tech. If I can make Iron Man in the system, I can make whatever the heck I'm using on the Eden ship. Easy. Yeah. The advancement can actually be really ponderous. It, it is one of the only games that, that's up there with things like, like RuneQuest for uh, kind of the ponderous nature of its advancement. And I like that for a post-apocalyptic setting. We're talking about mostly humans. We're talking about changes on the edges of abilities. And that very long, very slow, very um, measured build-up instead of leveling, I think, could be a great way to work with it. The resolution system, if you're not familiar with it, does use percentile dice, but it is on a success scale where you have a green, yellow, and red scale of success. It makes it really easy to adjudicate on the fly. It, it is a very accessible system for a, a game master to use because you've got this advancing set of descriptive abilities 
You know, strength goes weak, feeble, typical, good, excellent, remarkable. The higher that is, the larger your chance of, of getting a green success in an equivalent sort of challenge. There's a big chart. I love charts. It's easy. You glance at it. You roll the dice. Uh, it also has uh, a very abstract range system which allows a lot of action to take place immediately. The immediacy of that is something that I think also lends itself well to uh, the Eden ship's feeling of being more uh, constrained. For as large as the ship is, we're still talking about wanting a certain sense of claustrophobia for the players, if not the characters. And I think it helps there. Now, on the downside... It is still on, on the pulpier heroic style, which encourages big actions and big results that not everybody may find appealing for, for a hard scrabble post-apocalyptic underpinning. It's got a little bit of a lift for a GM to make sure if at session zero the contours are laid out so that people know how not to start from a position of superheroics. But I think it's got a huge potential. It's another one that I did a write-up for card catalog purposes years ago. And so that link, again, in the doodly-doo. The second one that I thought about was D20. D20, open game license style system. It is rightly critiqued as being uh, ponderous and being nitpicky in ways that, well, frankly, only... D&D 3.x and Pathfinder 1st Edition are because, well, that's what it is. But that's exactly what can make it a great post-apocalyptic engine. There is an importance in minutiae and in resource management, both in the game with all of the possible ways to, to make additions to your character, but also at a meta level, managing all of the fiddly bits and the sliders of character generation and advancement, the list of possible feats of, of uh, our, our prestige classes, all of these create a resource management load that is potentially uh, evocative of, of the setting we want. Now, using the D20 Future Book that is sadly both out of print and not under the OGL, you could take inspiration from the Wasteland and Gene Tech campaigns in there for a rough mechanical framework. And even without that specific book, it's not hard to create uh, from D20 Modern the D20 Future structures. This system, the upsides for using it, it's got a robust engine. It's got a lot of support for GM dilemmas, adjudication, optional rules, nitty-gritty resource management. You've got a host of books. For those of you that were not around or gaming in the height of the original OGL, there were more third-party products and books being put out than every single year than the last five years of 5e's third-party products. And the, here's yeah. the thing, it, and here's the thing, it's a good thing f uh, to pick up for newer players because there, there is a logic to it. There is a, a, there's a simplicity and complexity that is easy to kind of understand it, but you know, the, the it, it is, but it can also 
you know, tickle your inner grognard if you want to, depending on exactly how you want to spend it. It 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 is a system that can be overwhelmingly complex and is an additive system, and so it can appeal to a certain style of play more than others, but it also burned out a lot of people. And that is one of the downsides to think about is making sure you're not layering too much of a lift on your table. The other downside to think about is, since it's a level-based game, it's got a linear progression. And so GMs really will have to seriously think about the balance of power between NPCs and PCs on the Eden ship, which was not really something that we as actively considered in constructing the setting. But between face rip and its uh, potential for a a very fluid, non-level-based, accessible for the GM resolution system and D20 future being a much more granular and kind of at a meta-level resource-intensive system, I think that they provide ways to swap the Eden ship setting in two different directions that are equally fulfilling uh, for at least a campaign. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, Face Rip, you can do so much with it just as a raw system itself. Like, just take out... Just rename some things. Mm-hmm. All of the... Um, like, pull out all of the powers, basically, for the most part. I mean, you can leave a few of the things that are, like, technological-based. But even that, there were other ways to do it in that system. Well, rem- so you didn't even need to use All that. the powers could be technological, and it's just a matter of reining in uh, certain excesses. And that's easy yeah. to set. There are optional rules in what's available out there to have a more quote-unquote street-level superhero game and to limit the upper echelons of those powers. And like I said, I love the simplicity of the resolution mechanic and the ability to kind of evaluate the level of success, red, yellow, green, on that chart is a really quick and dirty way to that that introduced uh, scalable results for a lot of people yeah yeah and it was one of the early ones that did it without being you know before it got extra fiddly about if you succeed by this much or do that much and how the, the ways yeah it, it, there's an elegance to it but yeah the original like box sets like if you just used the original like start uh Super, you know, Marvel box set like it was perfect for doing lower level stuff. That's a whole other set of discussions that I may or may not agree yeah. with you on. But on the opposite <laughs> end, D20 is not elegant. No, it's it's fiddly and crunchy, and it, it, it requires a lot of looking at how things balance. And, and so that's why, kind of why I, I settled in on those, was I wanted one that was a little more elegant and one that was more robust. Uh, the spiky edges don't necessarily make it a bad choice, but it makes it a very different feel. Uh, yeah. So my question for those of you listening at home, which of these six options would you most like to see us put some work into? 
Which one sounds like the most fun to you? Yeah. Find us on social media, tell us, and share so that we can add in your joy or live and bask retroactively in what you have done to your players. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It, it's, you know, when you're a player, you have like these great epic war stories, but when you're a GM, most of them that either start with, oh my God, you won't believe what my players did, or oh my God, you won't believe what happened to my players. That's almost hard. It's hilarious. It's like the war story flavor is so different, but damn, they're entertaining either way. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So those are our thoughts on swip, swipping and swapping game systems around to do various things within the Eden ship. So... We are going to go ahead and hit our closing remarks and call that a wrap, guys. So, Zen, go. <laughs> okay. So, I finished watching. I know it's very late for it, but I just finished watching all of Raising Dion. And. Oh my God, this show is so cool. <laughs> it was a superhero origin story that was, it hit a lot of really, really cool things that I was not expecting. And it's actually not that long. It's only two seasons long. And each season only has like eight episodes. And it is, I don't want to spoil anything, even though it's kind of an old show, because it is just that good. You really do need to just watch it. Because it also, in addition to telling this amazing, like, superhero story, it's also a commentary on some issues that are present in our current world that are very near and dear to me. So I think it's something that really you should go and watch it. It is worth every single minute that you can give it. So, and all I'm going to say is Esperanza is probably the best character in the entire show. And I will fight you over it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jules, what do you got? All right. Well, I, I don't know what it was, but I kind of felt going very, very old school. And uh, I, I blame my cousin for this. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love you to death. But uh, a very old school anime called Cutie Honey. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but it is... It is a very, very old kind of style anime, but it has like this goofy yet very charming kind of mashup of, of sci-fi, magic girl, kind of a weird thing. Um, <clears throat> you know, so it, you know, the, the main character, Cutie Honey, is just like she, Honey Flash, she changes, it's a costume change and she gains different abilities depending on whatever the heck she's wearing and it's awesome. 
and uh, her her creator uh, grandpa Danby, he has like this this one like laser beam. It's like Danby beam, and it shoots out of his forehead. It's hilarious, but it, it's it, it's very it's cute. It's whimsical, but it has some really really good action, some really hilarious dialogue, and it's just you know with everything going on and everything just you know everything. Sometimes you wanted something funny, sweet, beating up the bad guys, lots of explosions, you know, a little bit of that corniness. That the corniness that's not cringe, I guess is a good way to put it. And you know, okay. it's it's cute, it's pretty, it's it's fun, and you know, it it it, it very much hits that very like eighties, seventies, eighties anime nostalgia. You know, just sometimes you just want. Yeah, yeah, just like robots, explosions, and and you know, <laughs> color and costume changing robot chickies. Yeah. So, right, okay. go, Maje. What we got? Well, going along with our whole Eden ship season and everything, I'm gonna say pick up a copy of Mission to Mars. Buzz Aldrin never really stopped looking to the stars, and in Mission to Mars, he lays out what he sees as a viable and achievable plan to not only have astronauts reach Mars, but uh, achieve a habitat there. And whether you agree with all of the conclusions or methods that he's got in there, it is a thought-provoking book, and it begs the very question of why we don't try harder to return to the stars. That is cool. Aldrin is just... Aldrin is so awesome. He really, truly is. Ah, uh, but the the other thing is is you know he he's things like when he nails sort of kind of uh, like meme ish stuff he nails it. So he has like a there's a picture of him with Bill Nye the Science Guy and Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's wearing a T-shirt and says "Get your ass to Mars." This has been his one of his things for a while, uh, and it's. I had the, the pleasure of, of seeing him give a presentation about it and a talk about it uh, a number of years ago. And it's really, it, it does ask that very question. You know, why, why don't we go back and why don't we do these things that we've identified as, you know, how we could do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I will be honest, it's like, uh, Buzz's writing style. The thing is, you don't realize how fast you're reading it. That is one of the the best things about it because I I've I've read so much of it. It's just like, you know, it's 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 fun. It's flows. It's it's easy to understand, but really evocative. And he's got a great mm. uh, co-author. Um, he and Leonard David have worked together on so many books that the styles just. It, it is incredibly readable and incredibly accessible, and uh, hopefully some of you at home will pick it up, read it, and maybe lift your eyes back up to the night sky again and ask, why can't we go back? Yeah. And then after you've read it, you know, yeah. find us on social media, tell us what you liked about it. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. 
Sorry. Or also if he's giving a talk in your area or so, any other type of presentation, share it with us because it might be close enough for one of us to go to that, whatever the heck it is. Because we might miss well, it because right. we busy. You know the drill. Like, share, comment, all those things that help the social media algorithmic overlords share this with other people. We appreciate each and every one of you. But until next time, have fun. Roll some dice. Play some games. And we'll see you back here. Real, real Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handled this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.